Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Lord, we come to you asking for that very thing, that you would ignite a fire within us, that your Holy Spirit would be a consuming fire for revival. Let it begin in us, in our church. Let it sweep out over this city. We pray for other churches that are meeting this morning. Today we want to lift up a church that we collaborate with, Peace Church, and we pray for their services today, and we pray for Pastor Rusty Russell, who is a dear friend of ours, and we work together for the revival in this city. And Lord, we, we recognize that there are places that are preaching today all over the city, and Lord, we're one of those places that's preaching the gospel. I pray revival would break out and reach all of Eastern North Carolina. But let it start with us. Let it start with each individual, each heart this morning. And then Lord, we're also reminded that today is the day that we remember the sanctity of human life. And Lord, we pray for that one that might be with us right now. Maybe they're watching online or maybe they're present with us in person today. Who's experienced the pain of an abortion and they've, they've not really known how to feel about it and how to grieve and how to move forward. And so we pray for them as we offer this message from your word today. We pray that those kind of griefs and hurts might be found healed by Jesus. And not just those kind, but all the kinds of ways that we hurt ourselves, Lord, that you would bring us into the presence of the Spirit today to find healing and wholeness. Lord, set a fire in our souls for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in part three of our series, Renovate. And we're not talking about renovating our house or our garage or our kitchen. We're talking about renovation of the heart. And today, as we think about the heart, uh, we think about the heart as the seat of the will, the, the driver's seat, if you will, of, uh, of how we make decisions for our life. And the truth is, Life doesn't really change unless there's heart change. We think if we change outward things, that we can somehow change our lives, but, but real change, real life change comes from the inside, not from the outside. Our theme verse is from Proverbs chapter 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So life comes from the heart, comes from the inside out. And the heart as we we're saying, is like the control center of our lives. It's where we make decisions. And as we talked last week, one of the places, one of the inputs is our thought life. And now this week, we're talking about another place that influences our decision-making, our hearts, is our feelings. Our feelings influence. In fact, many of us would admit that I make most of my decisions based on how I feel. And so, so we, we were talking about that today. Here's what Dr. Willard says in his book, uh, The Renovation of the Heart. He writes, Feelings live on the front row of our lives like unruly children clamoring for attention. And so, so our feelings are those things that are loudest inside of us, speaking, clamoring for us to follow how we feel. It's, it's how we greet each other, isn't it? We, we say, we'll say to a total stranger, we'll, we'll bump into them, at, at the food line, we'll say, hey, how are you? And we don't expect them to say how they're doing. In fact, if they look at us like, well, I'm just so depressed, we go, oh my, what have I got myself into? 
It's, but it's a way of greeting. We don't, we don't walk up to somebody and say, what are you thinking? People be like, that's none of your business. But if we say, how are you? How are you? We're saying, how are you feeling is really what we're asking. They'll answer right away. They just will lie. Fine, good, you. And you say, you lie back at them, then I'm good. The truth is, we're not. We're not good. Stuff's going on. There's always something going on. We have feelings. And we, we greet each other that way because feelings are so much the mark of how we live. The truth is, feelings can be both a blessing and a curse. Nobody wants to live without feeling, but yet our feelings can misguide us. They're so central to our lives that, that, uh, that we often make decisions that way. Well, you could put feelings in two categories. There, there, there's a whole description of feelings, but you could put them in two simple categories, pleasurable or painful. It's kind of, I was kind of thinking about it this week, and I was thinking if I, if I asked the ladies for a list of, of feelings, like if we were trying to come up with a comprehensive list of, of feelings, and we asked some guys in the church, give me a list, I feel like the ladies' list would be longer. Because I, I base this on color. Because we often use color to describe feelings. How you doing? I'm blue. And if you ask a guy and he says he's blue, you ask a lady and she says, I'm aquamarine with shades of, you know. And so, so ladies would, the truth is ladies are more in touch with their feelings and they're able to be more descriptive about it. And guys are less so. Guys really only have two prominent feelings that they feel. One of them's anger. They know that one. They're red. So we, we know that feelings can be pleasurable or, or painful. So those are the two categories. That's, that describes how feelings feel. And then there might be two categories of their effect on us. So uh, pleasurable or painful, helpful or harmful. And, and so here's what we assume. If it's pleasurable, it must be helpful. And if it's painful, it must be harmful. But that's, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Because sometimes feelings of pain are helpful and feelings of pleasure are harmful. What I'm trying to tell you is you can't base your life on your feelings. Because the truth is feelings are only the top note that's radiating out of a condition that's underneath it. Feelings are a response to an underlying condition. And so if you base your life on the feelings, you're not getting at the condition. And the condition might be true or false. It might be right or wrong. And, and, and up here, you're making a decision on how you feel about it. So we've entitled today's message, Renovating Our Feelings, because they're so important to our heart. So let me ask the question, actually mean it this time, how are you feeling today? Are you uh, excited or bored? Are you enthusiastic or complacent? Do you feel love or hate? Do you feel joy or do you feel grief? Do you feel peace or are you worried and filled with anxiety? Contentment or anger? Sad, mad, or glad? Are you self-aware? Can you even answer the question? Are you able to know how you feel and where it's coming from, the condition that underlines it? Are you able to go before the Lord and ask His help for this? Or is that something that the Lord would be interested in, that you could go before Him and say, why do I feel this way? 
is this, is this actually helpful to my life or should this feeling be validated or invalidated and replaced with a feeling that you approve of? These are questions we can ask and bring before the Lord. Or, if you're not able to do that, if you're not to bring, able to bring your feelings before the Lord, then is your life more like a ship without an anchor that's just driven to and fro by every wind and wave? Or based on whether or not you ate pepperoni pizza the night before? So your, your life looks like a roller coaster. Just, just, just the feelings, up and down, all the time. Is there a better way? What moves you? What touches you? What gives you a buzz? What makes you feel high or low? And is that how your life runs? The feelings can be good servants, but terrible masters. When you put your feelings in charge, you can end up in a ditch. It's not good to be unfeeling, though. We're not saying that as believers we should be stoics, that somehow like the Star Trek character, uh, the Vulcan Spock, you know, like uh, we should somehow put our feelings away, nor should we be so overwhelmed by our feelings that uh, we're just going everywhere all the time. There's got to be a better way. Our feelings can be renovated by the Lord. Do you believe this? So what we're talking about today, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the believers in Galatia, he taught them how to yield their feelings to the Lord for His examination and renovation so that they could put away feelings that are harmful and put on a new way of life, a new way of feeling about life that really gives you better information for your heart to make decisions. As we look at the text, I believe that we can yield our hearts and our feelings to the Lord. As we look at the text, we'll see three ways. Let's dig in. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of, rape, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is God's Word. We're looking for three ways to yield our feelings to God for renovation. The first way, rely on the Spirit to overcome and replace your old desires. Rely on the Spirit to overcome and replace your old desires. Notice in verse 16, Paul is speaking. He says, I say walk by the Spirit. This is a command. This is in the Greek imperative. He goes, you're a believer. Stop living according to your feelings and your, formal, your former desires. 
Walk by the Spirit. Now the word walk was a, was a Jewish way of describing your lifestyle, uh, your mode of living, your, the walk of your life, your everyday life. And so to walk, to rely on, to be empowered by, to be directed by the Spirit, not the way you feel, not your desires, especially those that are still colored by your old sin nature. He's saying, live like this, and if you do, you'll no longer live like that. You'll live in a new way. You'll live by the Spirit. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The, words, the word gratify in the, in the Greek has the idea to fulfill to the limit. You'll no longer pursue to the limit the feelings and desires of your former life. You, you, won't, you won't keep trying to do that. The word desire here could be translated lust or translated over-desire, over-much. It has, uh, in the Greek, epithumia. Epi means above or high, and, and thumia has to do with heat. And so that you have a, a, an overheated desire for things. Desire, is it evil? Is desire, is desire evil? No, God gave us good desires. He gave us hunger. It's a desire for food. But then we have an over-desire, and we overeat. He gave us thirst, but then we have an over-desire. So the sin nature tends to fall into over-desire or lust. Desires start out from the Lord as good, but then sin warps them and causes them to move from the helpful category to the harmful category. And what starts out being pleasurable brings great pain. Feelings are not to be trusted in and of themselves because they're fickled. And they're only describing some inner condition that we've not yet rooted out, perhaps. So, if, But if you walk by the Spirit, you won't continue to fulfill... The lust of the flesh. And the flesh doesn't mean necessarily this. It means the old sin nature. Your old way of thinking and feeling. Notice the words against. It's there twice in verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed. There's a war going on. There's a battle for your heart. The spirit says... Let me help you make decisions in your life. The heart is the driver's seat. The heart is where you make decisions. And then you got thoughts bombarding you, ideas, images, then feelings about those ideas and images. And they're, they're informing the heart. And then the spirit, if you're a born-again Christian, is on the inside saying, okay, let me tell you which of these are true or false. Let me tell you which of these are good or bad. And, and, and the spirit's helping you kind of filter those through a truth or through light. So he brings them to light. You don't have to just give in to them anymore. But you can recognize that they're battling for the steering wheel, the control of your heart, and recognize the opposition. It's opposed. And so as a result, it says in verse 17, that opposition is in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Because as a born-again Christian, you want to follow the Spirit. You do. You have a new want to. But the, but, but the old nature is in opposition to your new want to. 
Take some time, maybe this afternoon if you have a chance, uh, read Romans 7 and, and you, you'll read about how Paul talks about the old nature and the new nature being at war. And he concludes the chapter, he goes, who will rescue me from this? And then he says, praise be to God. For we, we, have, we have liberty in, in Jesus Christ. He set us free. But there's this battle between our, our feelings and the Spirit's feelings. Our desires and the Spirit's desires. How do we manage this? We can't overcome it through our own self-improvement course. We need the Holy Spirit to replace those old feelings. So what, what causes someone to be an addict? They have a feeling that they need something in order to get by. They have a feeling that they need, I need help coping because I have an underlying condition, which is another. So there are layers of feelings. I have anxiety. And why do I have anxiety? Well, under that is I'm worried. Well, under that is I'm, I'm afraid. I'm fearful about something. And under that, and so it's complex. The heart is complex. Who can know it? Only the Lord. And so he, he helps you go through those layers and go, here's why you have this overmuch appetite for alcohol. It's all the way through, all through these feelings. Right here it is. It's, there's this condition right here. There's this condition of your, of your heart, of who you are. Why, why do I... And so we can't do this on our own. A counselor can can maybe guide you, but the Holy Spirit, whose, whose names are advocate, helper, counselor, he's the best at it because he can see your heart. He can help you go down through it. So be filled with the Spirit, it says in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why does Paul put these uh, counter each other? And think of it like this. Instead of being under the influence of something like alcohol... Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's the context. It's, it's odd when you first read it. Instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because both of them influence your decision making. So instead of being, you know, having a DUI over here, be, be under, uh, I don't know how to do the acronym, but be under the Holy Spirit. I just, it just popped in my head and y'all figure it out. Tell me later. So, so this is what Paul's saying. So, so be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit instead of the way you used to, to be driven to and fro by your muddled thoughts and your, and your feelings that you don't even know where they're radiating from. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how God can do this in us. It says, for God is working in you giving you the desire, the feeling, and the power to do what pleases Him. God wants to give you a new way of feeling, a better way of feeling, a true, so that you feel as He feels about things. Isn't that wonderful? In, in Dr. Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart, he talks about a woman, and he writes this, he says, it could have just as well been a man, but he was talking, he chose a woman that he's telling the story about, who was taken up in the thought that she had been treated unfairly for years in her marriage and in her job. 
Rather than sensibly addressing the circumstances or just turning her mind away from this thought, she received it and brooded over it for years. Developing a tremendous sense of injustice and outrage. And she also welcomes and cultivates with the aid of of sympathetic friends this bitterness. Now he doesn't write this, but I kind of visualize what I see on Facebook sometimes. I'll see a young woman make some statement about how she feels, and I'll see it and go, oh my goodness, that's such a harmful feeling that she's describing. And then I'll see 20 women affirm her for that horrible feeling. And so it deepens it. Because, well, feelings are just true. No, they're not. They're fickled. They're all over the place. They're not to be trusted. They're good servants, but they're horrible masters. And so this is what's happened to her. And so she has the aid of sympathetic friends saying, oh yeah, you've been treated undressly, unjustly. You have a horrible husband. Your boss at the work, those people at work, and they just agree with everything she says. And, and she develops a root of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 to, talks about the root of bitterness that gets in our souls. And it gradually spreads over her whole personality. It takes over everything, and it seeps into her body and her soul, so that even the way she moves, the look on her face, is marked by the root of bitterness. It begins to permeate everything about her. It oozes out of her through her emotions and actions. It affects her capacity to see what's actually going on. And it all started with a thought and a feeling that were mishandled, that now have affected the direction of her life. You can't reason with this woman now, because reason will not help. What needs to happen now for her is the light of Christ needs to shine in her life so that she can see that surgery, spiritual surgery is needed, and that only the Holy Spirit is qualified to do it. And you can trust Him because He's not out to hurt you. You can go ahead and say, look at my heart. Look at my feelings. He will not judge you. He wants to help. You can't say that about really anybody else, but about the Counselor, capital C, the Holy Spirit. Oh, He loves you. He can help. Will you surrender your life and your feelings to Him and rely on Him to overcome your old desires and feelings, and replace them with new ones. That's the first. Here's the second way. Here's the second way. We've looked at verses 16 and 17. Let's continue. Let the Spirit lead in revealing and correcting your feelings. Let the Spirit lead. Notice that in verse 18 it says, it says this, but if you are led by the Spirit. Earlier he said, walk by the Spirit. Now he says, be led by the Spirit. Let him lead. Let the Spirit be your GPS. Let him lead. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, why did he bring that up? I think it's this. Do you remember when we used to... I'm, I'm talking to the older folks now, my, my age group. you remember when we used to order a map from AAA? Like, I'm going on vacation this summer, and I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon, and so you're a AAA member, and so you would... You would, you would you would call them because there was no internet. You'd call them or you'd write them. And you'd ask, 
I'm going to the Grand Canyon from Wilson, North Carolina. And they would send you a map highlighted best route with brochures for the best hotels and restaurants along the way. And then you'd get that map out. <laughs> and you'd lay it out and you'd start planning. And as you're driving, you're trying to peep over that thing. Or like if you're in my car, I got one of my kids over here trying to teach them how to read a map. And you did the best you could. And you still made wrong turns. And then you'd see some guy on the side of the road sometimes. You'd be driving by. There'd be a guy, he'd have the whole map spread out on the hood of his car going. <laughs> trying to figure that out. That's what the law is. The law is like a map. And we don't have the wisdom to know how to follow it. Nor the power to do it. But the Holy Spirit that lives within you is like an internal GPS that says, Turn here, go there, do this, feel that. If you'll just trust me, I'll get you there. I was driving back from Virginia this past fall, and we, we hit some traffic on Interstate 40. I mean, it was bad. And I was like, oh, man, I thought we were going to get home by this time. But, and then my GPS that I've got it through my phone, it's hooked up. It goes through my sound system. I, was list, I can listen to tunes. This is so advanced stuff, right? I can listen to my tunes, and then my GPS interrupts, comes through the speakers, and says, there's an accident ahead, alternate route suggested. And I'm like, what, what alternate route? And I hit my phone and it, bloop, it changes everything. Turn here. And I was like, but I don't usually go this way. But I'm going to trust you, GPS. I don't know if you talk to yours or not, but I do sometimes. I don't know. I've, this is the way I always go. But you say there's a wreck ahead. Now, I can't see up there. But apparently there was. I got home and found out there was a huge wreck in the Raleigh area. And, and I saved myself that by taking this alternate route. Now, a map would have never helped me with that. But that GPS saw the future somehow or saw what was happening. I don't know how it all works. But it worked. And that's just human technology. That, the Holy Spirit knows. Sometimes you go, but yeah, this is the way I always go. I've, it's tried and true. I know that. He goes, no, trust me. Take an alternate route. There's a terrible accident ahead. You can, you can follow his lead. You don't have to keep following the tried and true feelings that you used to have about life. There's a better way. You can be led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. You don't have to follow maps anymore. You've got the Spirit living inside of you. Follow him. Trust him. And then he gives you 15 ugly descriptions of how your old life of your sin nature and your old feelings led you astray. It's not a pretty list. Fifteen random mud clods thrown at the wall. Just like Paul, like he got so sick of listing them, he just ran out of air. He could have listed more. There's nothing beautiful about them. Sexual immorality, the Greek word there is porneia. And that, that's any inappropriate sex that's, that's not according to the design that God made us for. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. That's an interesting word, pharmakia in, in the Greek, so that drugs and sorcery are somehow connected there. That's, that's, un, that's unusual. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. You hear that one, guys? Out of control anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul ran out of breath. He goes, you know, junk like that. Because that's where over-desire leads. Starts out pleasurable, ends up causing the greatest kind of pain. 
Starts out, you thought it was helpful, but it actually turned out to be so harmful. And that's what the former life looks like. He says, I warn you, and I've warned you about this before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not how kingdom citizens live. They do not live according to their former feelings, their former addictions, their former desires. Their, no, they, they've got a new way of living. They're led by the Spirit. And I've warned you about this. It doesn't lead to good. It leads to harm. James begins to answer the question about where this junk comes from, this, this list. In James chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The fight's on the inside of you. The reason there's war on the outside is there's war on the inside. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're ruled by your passions and desires and your feelings rather than by the Spirit of God. And that's what, that's what that looks like, that list, that list of 15 plus. But we're to be led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You're set free from that now. You don't have to keep following that. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You don't have to keep living that way. You don't have to keep living the way you used to live with your old identities. And, and identities are, false identities are usually connected to false feelings. We have a whole generation now being raised up about how what they feel is more true than reality. If I feel this way, it must be more true than reality. We've elevated feelings up to the throne of idolatry that this is the truest thing. How I feel is more true than what God's Word says about me, what my biology says about me, what, what is true if I look in the mirror and know how I feel is the most true. And so we've, we've shipwrecked a whole generation with this nonsense. Feelings are not to be trusted. They are good servants, but terrible masters. It didn't take long for humanity after the sin of Adam and Eve to stumble into following their feelings rather than following the Lord. There were two young men, the firstborn of Adam and Eve, Cain, and then the secondborn, Abel, and they both offered sacrifices. Abel offered a blood sacrifice, a, a, a firstborn lamb, and Cain didn't. Cain offered some vegetables from his garden. Now, we don't know the backstory, but we must imply, I think, in the story that Cain and Abel knew what was appropriate. But if they didn't, they were certainly informed afterwards because God said he didn't approve of Cain's, and he did approve of Abel's. So now Cain can learn. Now Cain can go, oh, I got that wrong. And I could be accepted. Uh, I could get it right now. And so we see this in Genesis chapter 4, God talking to Cain about his feelings and trying to help him. He says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why, why are you so angry, feeling? Why do you look so dejected? Dejection? 
It's on his face. You will be accepted if you do what is right. I, I've told you it requires a blood sacrifice because life is in the blood. And I'm trying to teach you that the Messiah someday will come as the fulfillment of that. And so I need you to learn this. And, and Abel got it right. The younger brother got it right. So older brother now is prideful and angry and dejected. If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching behind your door. It's eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master because we're to be... Our, our heart is supposed to overrule our feelings because our feelings are always suspect. And he tells, he tells Cain this, but Cain doesn't listen and then he... He invites his brother out to look on the farm and look at some things in the field, and he takes him to a private place, and he murders him. But it began as a feeling that he followed. Will you let the Spirit lead you in revealing and correcting your feelings? Will you say, Lord, I trust you. I have this feeling of anger. I have this feeling of unforgiveness. I have this feeling of bitterness. I have this feeling of woundedness. I have this feeling... Fill in the blank and say, Lord, what's the underlying condition that causes this feeling? And then help me to know if, if I should own this feeling or disown it. So that I'm no longer ruled by this feeling, but replace it with a new feeling. Do I have a right to this anger? Is it appropriate? Is it righteous anger? Or is it prideful anger. What kind of anger did Cain have? Prideful. His little brother got it right on the multiple choice question. He got it wrong, so he killed him. That's in all of us. Why am I angry? Does this person deserve, do, do I deserve this feeling? Holy Spirit, look at the root of this in me, because I trust you. Give me an alternate route so I don't drive into the accident that waits for me ahead. Follow the Spirit's leadership. And then here's the third. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Pursue the Spirit's fruit, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Pursue the Spirit's fruit, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're in verses 22 and following now. Notice the word but. This is in contrast to the previous list of ugly 15. The ugly 15 list and things like it. But the fruit, singular, not fruits, not plural, singular, one fruit, nine seeds. One, one fruit, nine character traits of the fruit. What fruit stand do you go to purchase this fruit? Where do you go get this? It only, that fruit stand only accepts one coin, and it's the coin of Christ, who paid in full that we might purchase the fruit of the Spirit. It's already paid for. All you got to do is go up and say, I got Jesus. Give me the fruit. It's already mine in Christ. And it, it's fruit, not works. The list earlier was the works of the flesh, the the. the the erga in the Greek, the, 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 the stuff that oozes out of the flesh, that it works out. But fruit is that which comes as a result of being connected to the vine. And so we read, 
Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So you can't bear this list of fruit unless you're connected to Jesus. He's the source. So what's Jesus, Jesus provides the life, the fruit. What's my job? Hang on. Abide. That's active. It's not passive. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. What's the effort? Hang on. Receive. Ask for it. Pull, put off. Put off wrong feelings. Put on what flows from the vine, from Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. And then what begins to pop out in your life? This is a ridiculous observation, but I'm going to make it anyway. Some of you heard me do this before. Have you ever been in an apple orchard and heard them striving? Apple. No. No, it's just life flowing up through the apple tree. And apples form, preceded by beautiful flowers and then fruit. It's not effort. It's connection to the life. And so the effort is hang on. The effort is abide, live in, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and then pursue the, the fruit of the Spirit so that I want it to flow in me and through me to others. And then what does it look like? Well, instead of the list of the ugly 15 and then some, it's a triad of triads. It's three groups of threes, like the number of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's symmetrical. It's wonderful. It's all one, yet nine. And so we have love, joy, peace in the first triad, which is of the mind, feelings. It describes a state of, of how you feel about things. Then we have a, a second triad, patience, kindness, goodness, which describes how we relate in social relationships. We're patient with other people. We're kind. We're good. Because to radiate out, and then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control speaks of Christian conduct, how we conduct ourselves. Do you see the beauty of this? And, and one flows out of the next one. It, the, the top three describe the condition of feeling that the believer that's walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and is abiding in Christ, the, the, the nonstop condition of their feeling is first of all love. Agape love, God's kind of love, unconditional love, love that never quits, never gives up, that kind of love. And then second of all, flowing out of love, because you could picture love like the big container, and then the next container, like picture those Russian nested dolls where you pull the head off of this one, and then you pull out another one, you set it here. So here's love, and here's joy. It's just slightly smaller than love. And so joy it comes out of love. So you could just say the fruit of the Spirit is love and put a period right there. Or you could put the period after joy. This, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And what kind of joy is this? It's, it's, it's unconditional love. It's unconquerable joy. And so the feeling you might have, you might be suffering. You might have been told by the doctor that you have cancer. You might be waiting for a surgery. You might have just lost your job. And you feel painful feelings 
But because you're abiding in the Spirit, you have unconquerable joy in the midst of it. And people ask you, what's wrong with you? Why is there a smile on your face after hearing this news? Why do you have this joy? And you go, it's not based on happenings. Happiness comes from favorable happenings, but joy comes from the Lord. And so I have a better feeling that's superior to happiness. I have joy. And it's unconquerable. And then out of love and joy comes peace. Shalom in the Hebrew. A sense of contented wellness. That all things are well. All things were well. All things are well. All things will be well. A sense of hope that says... My peace cannot be influenced by anxiety and worry because God has never left the throne. And although things don't look so good looking outward, I know on the inside this truth from God's Word, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I know that I'm okay and I will be okay and all things will be okay because Christ is Lord. What's wrong with you? Why do you seem to have such peace in the eye of this storm? <laughs> I got Jesus. It's going to be okay. How do you know that? Well, my GPS says there's an accident ahead, but if I take this alternate route, I'm going to be okay. Well, you ever been on that route before? No, but he says it's okay, so I believe him. And so... No one can take my love and my joy and peace. No condition, no environment, no person, because it doesn't come from them. It comes from abiding in Jesus. And if I don't feel those three feelings, then I know there's a condition that's out of place. And so then I go before the Father. And I go, Father, let's get the mirror of your word out. And would you show me what's that condition that's causing me to feel hatred, malice, instead of love, what's causing me to feel a grief that won't stop? I mean, there's a grief, but there's a grief that's without hope. There's two kinds of grief. You lose a loved one, and you know they're going to heaven because of their faith, and you know where they're going, and you have a grief with hope. It's, it's goodbye for a season, but then there's a state of grief that steals your joy because you haven't given up that to the Lord and say, Lord, you take that. I can't carry that. And instead of so you begin to bring these things. You go, why don't, I, why don't I feel love, joy, peace right now? So now feelings become a servant. They become like the warning light in the dash that says you got a flat tire or the oil temperature's running high or, or, or whatever. And you go, whoa, I, I need to pull over. I can't just keep driving like this. Like some of you do. And then you got to go get a <laughs> new motor or whatever. I mean, if you keep driving, the car will help you. You'll pull over eventually. Right? And life is like that too. If you're a believer in Jesus, you'll have to pull over eventually. The Lord will help you. Now, something's going to be broken. And it's going to hurt. But you can learn when the, when the, when the dash starts flickering... That feeling that's not love, joy, peace, that's not patience, that's not kindness, goodness, 
That's not faithless gentleness. That's not, when one of those lights starts flashing, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to pull over. And I need to bring that feeling before the Lord because it's contrary to the way I'm supposed to feel. This is a new way of living. It's a wonderful way of living. And now my heart can make good decisions because my, my feelings and my thoughts are in alignment with the Spirit. And so we go on here and he says, And those who belong to Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So those old feelings, I don't just count them as, well, they, they need, you know, I could clean them up a little bit and dust them off and keep some of them. No, kill them. Replace them with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And get shed of that list of 15 plus some. If you live by the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. That keep in step is, is like, a, it's like a Greek word that it, it describes what a soldier does walking uh, in formation. Two, three, four. Keep in step with the Spirit. About face, right? Keep up, right. That's it. That's what Paul's using. He's using military language here. He's, he's telling us something. Hey, like, if you're going to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, keep in step with Him. 1 Timothy talks about this pursuit. Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, As for you, O man of God, flee these things, these old, these old patterns. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made... Uh, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Pursue love, joy, peace, patience. Pursue faith, hope. Pursue it. Draw on it. Colossians tells you that the chief among these, the, the best emotion of all is agape love, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We have this... Uh, diagram I call the train diagram that's in our life on life discipleship process we would encourage you if you don't know about that check the box on your connection card and we can let you know more about what it means to to be discipled to be to be a follower of Jesus that gets discipled by a mentor but we use the train diagram now I used this train diagram when I was teaching in Africa some years back and I popped this thing up and they started mumbling to each other and I said uh, uh, could somebody interpret what they're saying and they were like saying this, what is that? They'd never seen a train before. So I tore that sheet of paper off my board and I, and I, and I drew a motorcycle because they all drive motorcycles in, in Uganda. They call them boda bodas. Boda, 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 boda. That's what they call them. And so I drew a motorcycle and instead of a coal car, by the way, young people, this is a steam engine. You put coal in the steam engine to make it go. This is a caboose. It pulls, it's the last car in the train. For those of you that don't know that that's a train, it's a steam train. So I, I drew a motorcycle and I, I put faith on the gas tank and I put fact on the engine and I put feeling on the seat. And then I taught the, the pastors in Uganda using a boda boda. But let me teach you using the train diagram. Hopefully you understand it. Where does the coal go? It goes in the engine. What happens if you put the coal in the caboose? The train comes to a stop and you have a dirty caboose. You put your faith, you put your, what you're going to, this is how I'm going to make decisions in life. I'm going to trust 
the fact of God's Word. I'm going to let God's Word and God's Spirit, His Spirit guiding His Word, I'm going to let that be the engine that influences my heart, and my heart, my faith, I'm going to put that in God's Word. And I'm going to stop putting it in how I feel. And guess what will happen to my feelings? They just disappear? No. They'll follow. Because if we put our faith in God's Word, our feelings always follow. Now at first they might go, Whoa, I'm not used to going this way. I don't know that way. I'm I'm comfortable feeling like this. But they get pulled along. As you follow God's Word, your feelings catch up. And you find out, you know what? I like these feelings better. Now they're in alignment with with God's Spirit and God's Word. This is better. Love, joy, peace is much better than all that anger and anxiety and hatred and, and, and lack of peace I used to feel. It's a lot better. And if I would have put my faith in my feelings, I never would have got there. Life would have just come to a halt. I'd have had to pull over and check something. But now, I'm putting my faith in God's Word. And even when it doesn't feel good, I obey. And then my feelings catch up. Because feelings are terrible masters. They're great servants. Terrible masters. God's Word, God's Spirit, that's who you want to put in charge. This is how we can allow God to renovate our feelings. We can... First of all, just admit our feelings are in opposition to the Spirit, our old nature. And we say, Spirit, show me where that's at. Then we, so we, we say, I want to walk by the Spirit. And then we say, I want to be led by the Spirit rather than led in the former ways, my former appetites and desires and passions. And now I want this new set of feelings and desires. I want that fruit of the Spirit. How do we get this? There's only one way. It's through Jesus. Let's talk to Him now. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that that we can have a new way of life that we were made for. I pray, first of all, for that person that's within my hearing. Maybe you're in this room. You're in the next room. You're watching online. You've never given your life to Jesus. Would you do it right now? It's an act of faith. It's a decision to put your faith in Jesus. You can, you can do it in prayer right now, just expressing your faith. Pray like this. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been, I've been following my own plans, my own feelings, my own thoughts, and I'm tired of it. I want a better way. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you were raised from the grave, that you live today. I believe that. Come and live in me. Make me the person you want me to be. Make me a child of God. Give me the Holy Spirit. Fill my life with the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, give it to me through Jesus. I want to be a Christ follower. If you're praying that prayer, believing He will answer that prayer. It's His will for you. Others are here, and you're a believer, but you're still carrying evidence of your old life around in your feelings. You've never really submitted those old feelings and passions and desires and identities to the Lord for His examination. Would you do it? Would you say, Lord, examine me, search me and know me, 
know my thoughts, know my feelings, and reveal to me if there's anything in me that's out of alignment with your Spirit. I want to walk in step with your Spirit and be filled with your, the fruit of your Spirit. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.